Claire Williams, things have been pretty tough at Williams F1 in recent years, but I hear things are on the up again now and you've acquired a significant new acquisition for the team. Yes, but we are not ready to announce it just yet. When will you announce it? Any time. And where will you announce it? Any place, anywhere. Any time, any place, anywhere. Well, it sounds like a wonderful world. Can you share the name now? I think you're on to it. Let's just say it's the bright one, the right one. I've got it. You're going to announce the arrival of Martin Whitmarsh, aren't you? <sighs> Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Zog. Hello. And there has been much speculation on Twitter and Facebook as to who the celebrity guest presenter would be. The best suggestion I had was Benjamin Netanyahu. And we're unwrapping our mystery (laughs) guest right now. We are, yes. Will you welcome please to Gareth Jones on Speed, the man that we like to call... Lumsden Bumhat. Lumsden, hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you? <laughs> welcome. Ted Kravitz, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. Thank you, man, for... No, I'm delighted to be the Richard Standin. Am I getting the deep voice? You see, I'm not even getting his deep got... voice, am I? If Has I, Richard got a deep I voice? Oh, no, yeah. If I just, with a slight northern accent. Is that I'm right? Yeah. To, <laughs> to get that on there, you know, no one will notice that their beloved Richard isn't actually here this It's week. sounding pretty deep from here. All right, no, okay. Well, I can stand in for him. I'm not as funny, but... But very well informed. Well, we'll see. Well, okay, let's start with what you know about where Formula One is at at the moment because you were at the Jerez test is it Jerez or Jerez or Jerez I don't know you remember when Michael Schumacher bumped into Jacques Villeneuve in 97 we always forget we always forget that was there we all think of Jerez as this sort of testing circuit, mm. and we forget that there's this massive Grand Prix there in 1997 so at the end of the season. When that Vilma didn't won. work. That's what Brundle yeah, said. That's right. That didn't work. And when Schumacher was always talking about it, he was talking about you know in Jerez. It never worked in Jerez, really. But I don't know. I think it's probably Jerez. Hereth, Hereth is good, you know. Anyway. On speed's very much about the sound of Formula One. One of our principal guiding prime mm. directives is to talk about the sound of cars. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. You've heard these new cars in the flesh. I've only ever heard recordings of them. What's it like? It's okay, you know, it's different. It's quieter than GP2 cars. That didn't sound promising, that okay. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's not brilliant. Let's really? It. Hmm. Yeah, it's not great. Oh. If you like to go home with a headache, you'll be disappointed. And if you like the noise rumbling through you from your feet right up to your head, then you're going to be disappointed. Mm. And I think there might be a weird sort of split between the fans absolutely hating it, yet you've got all the people who talk, i.e. the teams, the drivers, the media, who all think it's brilliant because it's A, saving their hearing, and B, meaning that they don't have to shout at each other or constantly wear their headphones to be heard. Well, and, and you know, we can joke about this, but actually no, saving your hearing is a good thing. You know, it's a good thing <laughs> not to be deaf. And mm. Sorry, but say that again? <laughs> <laughs> on the noise, how much difference do you think it'll make for a television audience, for example? Because there's a difference mm. between being trackside mm. when the physical volume of the sound 
really matters. Yeah. Whereas once it's gone through a microphone and being broadcast and coming out of your TV, people are fitting with the volume all the way down, and it's about harmonics and other things in the sound than the sheer volume. So how yeah, yeah, I mean, it's still it's still got a nice grunty sound. Mm. First time I heard it, I thought, oh right, that's not so bad. You know, it's not as bad as it sounded on the dinos that those recordings we'd all heard on the internet. And then the sort of second or third time I heard it, it sounded like an XR3i with a tin can exhaust. Oh, really? And I thought, okay, I've heard this before. <laughs> but, but that's not how you want F1 cars to sound. An XR3i. <laughs> there you go. That's Fast your point. forwards of the 80s. Or an Impreza, you know, or a mm-hmm. big Mitsubishi, you know, with a big, big rally car yeah. exhaust. So for the purist, it doesn't sound great. I think we'll get used to it. But there are some other really weird sounds. And that's actually one of the good things, is that what you're finding is that because the engine's quite quiet and then it's all deadened, of course, by a fucking great turbo in there, you're hearing tyre squeal, you're mm-hmm. hearing crowd noise, you're well, hearing yeah. the turbos go up, you're hearing the energy recovery systems go, you know, when they when they actually break. Not that we've heard them break, but you will hear them, you know. If they, if they grenade themselves, you'll hear the yeah. mics will pick it up. Well, hey, listen, you won't know about this because you only know about Formula One, but we go to Le Mans every year, you see. So we're used to these cars that make very different sounds. Yeah. You go to Le Mans, you get a V8 Corvette that rumbles till mm. literally, and I do mean literally, the fillings in your teeth resonate and hurt, and you get the turbo Audis that go by and all they do is go... And it's a science fiction sound. But and there is this great new sound about. I mean, sorry if this is what you're going to get to, but with that new generation of the Audis, of turbo diesels, if you're standing at a couple of the corners when the car is coming into the corner, it sounds like a fighter jet. Mm-hmm. There's the sound of air being scooped up and funneled and forced through all that plumbing. Mm. It's a fabulous sound in a different way to the way that the Corvette is a fabulous sound. You know, the Corvette yeah. sounds awesome when it's just ripping away from the corner and you've got this booming V8 sound all around you. You know, and then the turbo diesel is just sort of whooshing in, swooping into the corner, and then it's sort of quieter and more restrained on the way out. I'm just going to book my flight to Le Mans this year, my drive to Le Mans. You've put me back in the mode. But you were saying, so so we're used to cars making a less dramatic sound, and I think this is good for Formula One. When we changed to the 2.4 V8s a few years ago, I noticed that F1 cars became a bit camp, a bit hysterical. It was a bit... It was right up there, rather than the throatiness that I got used to from the the V10s and even the 12s before that. But what that did, it forced everybody, and I noticed this at Silverstone over and over again, to shut up. Because it's such a high frequency, we all sit there going, I can't take this, it really hurts, especially at the start where you've got the Mm. whole grid screaming. You know what that's like, you're in the pits. That hurts. Not just unpleasant, it's physically painful. And we all clam up, and we sit there... And we stop sharing the experience because we daren't make a sound, because we can't compete with this. The new age of Formula One, where it's damped down, what, 20 or 30%, it might get us into saying stuff in the crowd, shouting, there's only one shoe, Merca. It will. You will be able to have a chat. I was having a chat with a friend of mine, Mr. Steve, who I used to work with at ITV and at BBC. Lovely guy. And we were talking on the pit wall while in the middle of a test session. Really? And just catching up. Impossible. And halfway through the chat, we were talking about, I don't know, price of cheese or something. We see some, you know, relatively inexpensive Manchego downstairs. And, um, <laughs> and, and we'd seen... And I only... You heard it here first. And we thought, hang on, we can have a chat in the pit lane. Mm. It's that quiet. And mm-hmm. sure, when it goes past, you know, there's a... Or, or actually, the best thing Very is... Very good. When they stop and the turbo winds down, that's... <laughs> 
that's great. Okay, <sighs> promises you'll do a feature on the sound on Sky. You need to yep. major on those sounds. Let's All identify right. what those bits are. You broadcast in 5.1. Yep. Let's have the turbo spinning down behind us. Let's have the intercooler. Have they got intercoolers? Of course they have. Yeah. On the subject of sound, one of the arguments about the sound of engines and how these gloriously loud, fantastic engines aren't necessarily the best thing for a racing car has to do with the fact that if you're putting all this sound out, that's wasting energy. Mm. Now, I did some calculations to try and figure out how much energy you were losing from a really loud engine. And please correct me if this is wrong, if anyone's listening, but I could only make it come out to sort of a couple of horsepower. Right. You don't need much energy to make an awful Do we know what's the specific output of a current Formula One car in kilowatts? Do we know what it is? Do you have any idea? Not kilowatts. It's about 750 horsepower, supposedly, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, so the, the 2.4 litre V8s would have been 750, 760. The 1.6 litre V6s, on their own, would be 600. But... And then the with all the curs and what I like to call the turs, which is the, the, <laughs> thermal the, the energy turbo, recovery, the t- yeah, thermal yeah. or turbo yeah. energy recovery system, yeah. that gives an extra 160. So you're back up to the same horsepower output as you had last year. But an extra 160 horsepower of it is electric. We're, but we're to getting... answer your question, I can't answer your question. I don't know. You don't lose what a lot question? of energy in sound, is what you're saying. Yeah, a yeah, hundred watt amp is pretty loud. That's a hundred watts, not you know, one tenth of a kilowatt. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. One tenth of a kilowatt. Would it what help I really if want we to know. What... It to 60 watt light bulbs. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's 6,000. Uh, what one of the ERS, the energy recovery system, puts out is 6,060 watt light bulbs. Going on at the same time. If we're going to it's not change, a lot, is it? sixty kilowatts? No, one hundred and twenty. That's one hundred and twenty kilowatts, isn't it? Right. It would be two thousand. Is that the same as the weight of a Labrador's head? Which is something James <laughs> Allen said. Once. What is it in terms of the uh, <laughs> the area of Belgium? I don't know. But here's what I want to know. Too. Yeah. I'm wondering because we've obviously heard a lot about problems that the Renault teams were having in that first test session. Just how bad a shape do you think Renault are really in with their power plant? They are in trouble with it because it's not only a problem with the batteries and all the little connectors. What people don't realise is that they think it's just one massive sort of mobile phone battery sitting in the bottom. It's actually not 50 or 60 cells all wired up in parallel. And it's actually shorting out in various connections in there. And then they've got people like their lead team, Red Bull, where they've done some adventurous things with the packaging, like Adrian Newey always Very does. typical. Thing. And that's only compounded it. So, yeah, they've got all sorts of problems in all sorts of areas. And if they have sorted them in Bahrain, I'll be delighted for them for the next test, but I'll be very surprised. Well, let's see then. I think what you've just described is actually good news for Formula One. But I'll explain after this. <laughs> Jacques Villeneuve, congratulations. I hear that you've just signed a deal to drive in World Rallycross. Yes, well, I was looking for an exciting race series to compete in, and uh, Albertech Racing, who run a Peugeot 208, were ready to do a deal, so I said yes. And was the deal negotiated by your uh, F1 manager, um, uh, Pollux? Well, I was only asking. Gareth Jones on speed! You're listening to Gareth Jones on Speed with Zog and Lumsden Bumhat. I've got to stop calling you. No, I like it. Well, I, <laughs> it I is put, affectionate. It's I not one it's, of the t-shirts. It's, it's, it's Did you really? I have lined, lined Richard's pockets. Excellent. By, uh, what does it say? Croft, Brundle, 
Lazen Beer and Bum Hat. And <laughs> <laughs> you wear If you that. go to my Instagram page, yeah. which has lots of pictures of planes wings on it, um, <laughs> and, um, and interesting engines, what I have known, then, yeah, you'll see a little icon that's me wearing a bum Good hat. Good luck. Thank well you. done. We approve of that. Bum hat. Uh, now, before the break, I said that I felt that this new age where Renault are not the mm. dominant force that they have been previously mm. is probably a good thing for Formula One. With good reason, I think. It will shuffle up the act a bit. It will cause Red Bull, at the very least, some uncertainty, which is a start. It will give poor old Marussia a bit of a step up that they need right at the back there. But it mm-hmm. could, in fact, kill Caterham. Yeah. Is that valid, do you think? Yeah. One thing that I think is quite good, in that Renault were doing slightly unnatural acts with their engine Hello. In, the last few, <laughs> in the last few years. Just bear with me on this. Yeah. You know what they were doing with Red Bull? They'd run it on two cylinders and then mm-hmm. one cylinder. So they were using the engine as a kind of driver's aid, basically, to make it more drivable. Well, you know, that's a clever thing to do. But it's not really a nice thing to do to an engine, is it? Just sort of cripple mm-hmm. it, put it on two cylinders or one cylinder or four cylinders. Yeah, it's meant to be an eight. And, and you're doing a job, though. Carry on. Yeah, yeah okay, all right. You're allowed to be hard, yeah, yeah, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you two. They were doing the... <laughs> The second unnatural thing they were doing with the engine was, of course, the exhaust blowing thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were using the engine as a kind of aerodynamic aid, mm-hmm. retarding the ignition, putting out exhaust gas, even when the driver was off the throttle, making that horrible popping sound in the mm-hmm. middle of corners, which didn't sound nice. People didn't like it. And all for aerodynamic gain. And I don't know, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to engines. I like engines. And this whole thing about everyone's calling them power units now is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Come on, it's an engine. There's still an engine um, in there. What you're saying is engines should do engine yes. things to push the car, yeah. and aero should do aero things and just push it down onto the road exactly but i said it in about a minute no and no, a half no you said it ra- no, rambled no, on too long ago with, yes but, but that's right brilliant and that's detail, why i'd say that if it is that renault are to take a bit of a step down in their competitiveness then mm-hmm. that might not be such a bad thing in terms of just stressing to the other people or making the importance of what an engine should be doing paramount mm-hmm. rather than putting all these other auxiliary things. you see i might take an opposite view on that because mm. i think beauty in engineering comes when you have a component which can do more than one function. And so if you've developed an engine with the help of the car designer, you've developed an engine that is more integrated with the full function of the car, and that is to be aerodynamically efficient at every part of its range, whether it's approaching a corner, on the apex of the corner, leaving a corner, on the straight, under acceleration, under crosswind. If the engine is playing a part in that and not simply propelling the car forward, that is a thing of engineering beauty. That is calculus, if you like, demonstrated in a physical form. So I'm cool with that. I l- well, well, you're going to pick well, no, up no, on no, calculus now, aren't you? No, so no, 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 no. I was going to go back and think about, about a beautiful engineering solution being one that sort of achieves several things. I think actually most beautiful engineering solutions are simple, pure things that do one thing brilliantly. They do one thing better than anything else will do that one thing. You know, whether it's a particular cam or a particular spring. You don't just get these perfect design. You okay, improve okay. Now, so, but, uh, what about the McLaren that's now got a rear suspension system that's actually an aerodynamic aid? You like that, don't you? Yes, I do. I think <laughs> that's quite brilliant. I think I, I love the fact that McLaren have come up with that. I think it's wonderful. Can you explain it, Ted? For those who don't know, their rear wishbones yeah. are not simply suspension components. No, so, if you imagine rear wishbones you normally think at a basic level like on a caterham seven they're sort of a v-shaped bit of 
steel, mm-hmm. not that carbon fibre in Formula One case, that comes out and the pointy end goes next to the wheel and the opening shape of the V goes on the body and it just suspends the wheel. They always try to make them as small and light as possible, but it's almost like McLaren have turned up and to satisfy the FIA, they've said, yeah, we had a bit of problem in manufacturing with these, you know. The, uh, the, <laughs> the, the bottom, big. Yeah, the bottom leg of it, we've just made them really fat. They're, they're huge. <laughs> that's just how the size they are and that's why they're legal. Uh, oh, aerodynamic Can't purposes. Have... Oh, all right. Make the diffuser work harder. Oh, well, yeah, they might do that. Yeah, yeah, but it's just the way they came out of the autoclave. Really? Yeah. So what they're yeah, actually doing... doing... Yeah, they do actually create a little area of low pressure. Yeah, at the we have noticed. Yeah, yeah, really. Just, you know, someone just threw them a bit fat and we thought, okay, we'll just slip through the system. Now, at the yeah. moment, Charlie says, yeah, that's probably legal, but mm. there's more to it than that. When it comes to the race in Melbourne, are they going to get protested? Um, I don't know. A lot of teams are talking big about this and a couple of teams said to me and Hareth, you know, we thought it's worth a protest in Melbourne because it's hard for everybody else to copy. Everyone else is going to have to redesign the whole of their rear suspensions mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the rear wishbone has got a dog leg in it. It actually doesn't go out straight. It comes out and then does a bit of a left and right. So there's to present that bit square to the air exit out of the side pods because mm-hmm. otherwise it would be slightly at a cock angle, wouldn't it? It would be mm-hmm. at so, a yeah, sort of 15-degree yeah, yeah. angle. So the rear wishbone comes out, does a bit of a dog leg, and then presents itself so the fat elements are square onto the rear wing. Right. See what I mean? Where they would be to help with the airflow out of the diffuser to mm-hmm. make the diffuser work harder. No, so it's hard and expensive for everybody else to redesign their rear suspensions. You know, they'll already be planning it. It's yeah. in the CFD. They'll it's in the wind tunnel. Yes. But yeah. it's worth the €2,000 protest fee to take it to the stewards who aren't Charlie Whiting. Charlie mm-hmm. Whiting's only the guy who gives an opinion, but he's not the stewards. It's the stewards of the meeting who sure. decide whether it conforms to the letter of the law or not. And it's worth a protest to see whether the stewards take your view or not that's interesting the stewards at melbourne yep. will be a completely different set of people to the stewards at the next race and yep. the race beyond mm-hmm. that yep. so that gives melbourne a significant yep. role in the evolution the legality of yeah, Formula we often we often get this with this happened it, with yes, a double diffuser alone, yeah, they, yeah. Took it, they took it to the stewards in melbourne with a double mm-hmm. diffuser and we all knew something was odd when ferrari's qc nigel totsi qc this english guy with italian parentage turned up in melbourne we were like Oh, yeah, okay, right. What's Nigel Totsy doing here? Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. Get your protest fee out. Right. So, um, but are McLaren wasting their time with this? Because surely F1 in 2014, because we've had an engine freeze for years, mm. the only way you could get an advantage was through the aerodynamics of the car, or the physical dynamics of the car. In 2014, where we've got a new engine formula, surely just sorting out that engine package yeah. is the most important thing. Yeah, and they might have that done for them, though, because they're running Mercedes, who mm-hmm. look pretty sorted at the moment. Um, they just? But they never know, because they might have reliability, but they might not have speed. And you might not have, let's say, Ferrari, when they get to Malaysia, don't have to open up huge holes in the back of their suspension. Their, sorry, I've got suspension on the brain. Um, their, <laughs> side, their side pod, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it's thought amongst everybody that the Ferrari can run the coolest. In fact, they're running the same size radiators as they were last year which is incredible given the extra high wow. temperatures you know we've got a thousand degree centigrade turbo mm. you know, pumping out exhaust gas and it's all right on top of the engine which is already pretty hot and you're much more closed off in terms of what you can do and you've got to have an intercooler so that you feed nice cool air back into the turbo etc it's all getting really hot there and ferrari have somehow managed to keep everything really cool in a cool italian way we're majoring on the fact that red bull are rattled renault have issues yeah. 
And the McLaren and Mercedes seem to be in very good shape. Yeah. And Williams potentially being another Merck-powered yes. team. I mean, I mean, maybe this is us yeah. a bit of wishful thinking on our part. And Ferrari quite quick. Well, Sorry, but, yeah, yes, that, yeah. that was my point. I, was, yeah. I knew I was getting somewhere, and I started talking about Italians being cool and lost I was, my thread. I was trying to bring you I back to I was going back to... Uh, yeah. No, so my point was, Ferrari <laughs> might be quick, and they've got the engine reliability, so McLaren have to come out with something maybe on the aero side in order to, to be quick them. as well as reliable. Hmm. Yeah, How's well, that for finishing a point it's a comp- two minutes after you started no, no. it? Motor racing is about compromises. Certainly right. in Formula One, yeah. you know, yeah. you have to build a car that's going to be good at Monaco and going to be good in Hockenheim, don't you? And if you build a compromise car, you've probably got something that's very versatile. Mm. So Ferrari have got a moderately quick car that's mm. moderately reliable. Will that be better than either a rocket ship or a very reliable double-decker bus, which some yeah, teams may have? I know. Who knows? Maybe it'll be the fastest car, but then you've got Raikkonen and Alonso in the ah, same team ah. taking points off each other and then opening the door for somebody else. To I mean, we've got a great prospect because we're going to see these technical problems playing out and maybe Renault are going to have the problems more or less fixed by the start of the season, but they're certainly going to be behind Mercedes and Ferrari. They're going to have a head start. The Raikkonen and Alonso battle is going to be terrific. Oh, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how Magnussen goes at McLaren. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, he's, he's looking... Oh, I've, done I've done it again. Yeah, we've I've done, done it. Again. We do it all the time. It's Yan <laughs> too. Let's just call him Yan too. It's not Kevin. <laughs> Hang on. Can I ask you the question? And I'm going to ask Ted. Who do you think is going to crack first at Ferrari? Kimi or Alonso? By crack, crack, I mean by have to resort to heavy... Come on, baby. Kimi never cracks. You know Kimi better than we do. I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to work out. Does anyone know Kimi? You would assume that they'll probably qualify within a tenth of each other and so be second or third on the grid or first and second or if their car's good or fifth and sixth if it's there and then it's up to who races better and I think it's going to be tenths that's going to separate them because mm-hmm. I think they're as good as each other I really do mm-hmm. maybe that's because I love Kimi and you know I'm a bit of a Kimi fan we, yeah, we and I, 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 plenty of people let me tell you think Alonso is going to blow Kimi away Really? They think Kimi is overrated, always has been. They think the Iceman thing was dreamt up by Ron Dennis, trying to sell him as a marketing tool because he had no presence in a marketing terms, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. think he's completely overrated. I think what he did in Lotus completely destroys that argument. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but as James Allison, ex-Lotus, now Ferrari, said, he's a points vacuum. I think he actually said points Hoover, but maybe I'm not yeah. allowed to use a brand name. Yeah, you um, just did. That's and okay. um, uh, points Dyson. <laughs> and, um, he's, and he will suck up the points. Yeah. So so Ferrari will probably be Constructors World Champions, I would say, which is all they want from this year because they're tired of not getting the money for being constructors. Mercedes teams but they might not win the Drivers' Championship. Right. Ferrari, well, yeah. And they don't care about that because they're Ferrari. And Ferrari isn't about star drivers, it's about yeah. Ferrari. How That's many times does yeah, Di Montezemolo yeah. say that yeah. the team is more important? Yeah. It's their prime directive. All mm. right, more after this. Another Werther's original ruby. Oh, go on then, Albert, you old devil. You know, for 50 years now, we've been driving to the car park on this hill and sitting in the car enjoying the view together. Yes, love. It's as romantic as it ever was. Oh! Hi, you gave us quite a start there. Have you ever thought of changing your car insurance? Ruby... I don't feel so well. That darn robot gave me quite a shock. My heart! Ruby! Albert! Albert! Oh, my love! Here at Complicated.com, we have excellent life insurance, too. Right. That's it. 
You! Dreadful! No! Cynically! Created! Marketing! Robot! I've had enough of you! Complicated.com I bet you'd like to do that to that damn robot too. Ruby, I feel a lot better now. I must have dozed off there for the moment. Gareth Jones on speed with Lumsden Bumperhound. Ted Kravitz is with us today. Ted, can I ask you, we talked about the engineering in Formula One. We've talked a little bit about the personalities in Formula One, but you spend days and days and days getting to know these people. If you had a choice, if there was one driver that you didn't have to interview again, which one would it be? Oh. Who makes it the most difficult? Can you answer that without upsetting um, anyone? Funnily enough, yeah, there are easier ones and harder ones, and everybody would say that it sounds like Kimi Raikkonen is the hardest one because of the brevity of his answers. But actually, with all of these guys, you need to find out what it is that makes them tick, and you might struggle for a while, like I did with Ralph Schumacher, for example. Mm. Um, oh, did you struggle with Ralph? <laughs> didn't the whole world struggle? But you find out a little thing to make them tick, or you find out a little thing to loosen them up. And with Ralph, for example, you always had to give him a little tickle. And sometimes that was literal as well. Really? Yeah, you'd crack a joke or call him Ralphie or something like that. Or Or say, um, isn't your brother a monster? Or you'd say, you know, if I must, Ralphie, actually, do you know what? I'll do 10 minutes. And like, oh, you will not do 10 minutes with me. I have to go. It's like, oh, well, you know, you haven't got anything else to do, you know. And you had a little joke with him and then he'd loosen up uh-huh. and sometimes with the people who are a bit harder like maybe Paul DeResta you know uh-huh. he's not always in a good mood or rather wasn't he's always forthcoming though but exactly but you always knew how to ask a question that would get his interest and sometimes it's doing what I like to call the contra which is where you say something which is clearly, you know, idiotic. Yeah. No, no, just yeah. idiotic, so that they'll present the other way, because right. people naturally like Give to... Give me an example. Well, racing drivers naturally like to contradict you, because mm-hmm. it makes them sound a bit more knowledgeable, well, you know. Or yeah. They've got egos, Ted, yeah. is that what you're saying? Yeah. Really? A racing driver? With an ego? We all like to be right, I guess, and maybe yeah. Yeah. racing drivers more so. So, <laughs> say you'd go to... Ralph Schumacher after a bad race and you know that if you say oh Ralph you know terrible race what happened there he'd actually come out and say well actually no you know it wasn't such a bad race and you obviously didn't see lap 33 where I set the second Uh fastest lap and you know we did have a problem with the suspension but it wasn't that so no it wasn't a bad race you know Uh brackets you idiot yeah Um, yeah yeah. you're playing devil's advocate do it the contra you you know say um well Ralph you know I think you should be happy with that drive what are you talking about? Uh, you know, it was a terrible race. Uh, yes, I got a good lap, but the car was nowhere near. The setup was terrible. We could have got more points. We, we could have got more yeah, points, yeah. So the, the only problem with that is that you do sound an idiot asking what's clearly not the case in yeah, your yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but as a journalist, your role is not to sound like the expert, yeah, but to yeah. get the answer, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes That's you get hard. a response. They're all interesting. But I've got a decent relationship with Kimmy when he doesn't think that I'm a complete idiot. And I think I'm probably only one of maybe 50 people in the I think he thinks everybody else is a complete idiot. But, you know, I've known him long enough through the McLaren days and yeah. at the Lotus and Ferrari. And so, you know, I get decent answers out of him. But you still can't hear what he's said. So a lot of the time you'll interview him 
And I have to actually lip read. I've learned to lip read. Really? Kimmy's, yeah, Kimmy's he, lips. He moves his mouth yeah. so little because as well. Because it's so, right. yeah. And you have to look at it because he wears the mirrored sunglasses. Yeah. There aren't any eyes to look into. Wow. So he must think I'm a weird guy yeah. for always looking at his lips. <laughs> Squinting so hard. And, yeah. For all he knows, I don't like to look people in the eyes. How much of your game is psychology then? Because you have to play a difficult game, in the pa- a political game in the paddock as well, don't you? Yeah, well, yeah, do I? political game no. well no. it's the piranha no. club isn't it and they will yeah. not just eat up and spit out drivers and team members but surely the journalists who try to get the answers will get barriers put up you yeah. have to play a careful game don't you i don't know if it's a careful game particularly i mean i can count on the fingers of two hands the people who are yet to lie to me you know in uh-huh. the paddock. all the team bosses and all the drivers will have told porkies from time to time mm-hmm. and you have to stop taking that personally you know there are a few people who have told me absolute whoppers which i've then gone on to put on the air which has then been proved to be you know a one not entirely true yeah. yeah and then that's not good for them because i'll never believe a thing they say again yeah that doesn't mean that i won't report it yeah but i might couch it in a way that the team are saying this, but I've got a funny feeling that it might be that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if somebody constantly, you know, always has been an unblemished record of telling the truth to me, then I will quite happily report that. They say it's hydraulics. I believe them. It's hydraulics. It's not just that the engine has exploded, which has also failed the hydraulics. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I guess it's if, interpretation. If you mean, You're yeah, interpreting. interpretation. But there is that thing about people not being able to tell the truth. And that's a shame, isn't it? Well, they're protecting... People aren't able. They're, yeah. they're protecting corporate secrets. Yeah, you know, it's, it's industrial espionage if they give something away, surely. So you can understand because of the sheer amount of money at stake, the difference, how much well, they get for each point in the mm. season, you know. Well, it's the tension between the business and the sport. Mm. And, you know, when there's that much money and that much business involved, then all sorts of people from the drivers on don't always quite have the freedom to completely speak their minds about people they're involved with. There's a dark side to Formula One. If you back of the motorhomes. What's been your darkest moment in Formula One? Has there been a threat of a legal action that you can discuss on air here at any point? Or have you ever felt, my gosh, I've done some terrible thing? No, no, I don't think so. Darkest moment. No, I mean, I guess it's when you travel to these places and you feel that actually, you know, it's not worth it. Even in races like Indy 05, mm. where the sport was busy eating itself up. And Three teams took to the circuit mm. and they all got on the podium, of course. Yeah, yeah, because they couldn't find a way to make every team race because the British Senate tyres were good and the Michelin tyres were failing. And it was embarrassing being part of the sport. But it was a great story from the TV point of view. That still remains one of my favourite races Mm. in terms of the job that I did, which was to cover it. It was absolutely brilliant. It's the one VHS tape I've still got at home. Is that right? That's the one. I threw out my VHS player, so I've got nothing to play it on, but I've still got it. You have an access to the sport that is quite special. And I think maybe a lot of fans of the sport might wonder, what has surprised you the most? What or who in the sport, as you've got to know it over the years and gone under its skin over the years, has sort of surprised or impressed you the most? 
What's different to what you were expecting, I suppose? Did yeah. you follow the sports as a child? Yeah, no, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a really, really good question. There are many things. I think, actually, it would be Ferrari. When you sit at home in front of the TV and you watch and you listen to the Ferrari cars, to the V12s, of course, as I did, only on television. I went to Silverstone once in, I think it was 1989, 1990, I think, was my first British Grand Prix. So I came to it fairly late. I was about sort of 10 or 11. I wasn't watching it from the it's age right. of five, you know, five yeah. years old. But I still heard the V12s and fell in love with it and fell in love with Ferraris, all young boys do. And I've never been to Maranello, actually. That's always a bit of a regret. I haven't been there yet. But I know enough about it to know that once you know a little bit more about Ferrari and you judge it against teams like McLaren, even teams like Williams, and some of that magic, once you learn a bit more of it, you think, well, actually, you know, behind that, it is just a factory with some guys and they work there and they produce cars and they've got problems and their simulator mm-hmm. isn't brilliant and some of their facilities aren't as good as McLaren and you start to figure out things and maybe a legend like Ferrari isn't the kind of Italian dream of a super organization run by geniuses that you thought and maybe the it Pope comes runs as a Ferrari a... doesn't he I believe he's actually <laughs> there's has a lot hands more scrabbling on. around behind the scenes <laughs> there's a lot more hand to mouth than you think it yeah, yeah it's a bit more real yeah, yeah. yeah. really in some funny ways you look at Red Bull's success and that has been because they just built it in the last 10 years Mm. and almost McLaren's problem is sort of the baggage that they have throughout history one of Ferrari's problem is that they carry this weight of expectation throughout history Mm. with them Mm. and Williams as well some Mm -hmm. people think they're unable to change since the 90s and the 2000s when they were winning races with BMW and some people think that these teams are weighed down by that and that's the reason why Red Bull have been able to do that because they started afresh in a nondescript trading estate in Milton Keynes. Adrian Newey built what he wanted to build and they've done it fresh. They haven't got all of that baggage. But if if that was Mm. the case, why haven't Marussia and Caterham and uh, Hispania done better than they should have done? Really? Money. True enough. No No bucks, no buck Rogers. Nice. Here's one. Do you miss Max Mosley? Because I think in hindsight... I know Jean Todt's done the best thing long-term for the sport in terms of giving us a new eco-friendly, or eco-friendlier F1, if you like, and giving it a bit of impetus again. It was some of the decisions that Max made that kept the sport afloat when it could well have gone under. The idea that you can come into Formula 1 with a brand new team, but you have to use a Cosworth engine, but at least you stand a chance. And if you can make it through the first three years, you've got a team. Mm. Do you miss Max? I do miss Max. Um, And we were lucky enough to have him on the F1 show. And it was a pleasure just to have him on because he's still got that glint in the eye. What I missed about him was the little double act that he worked with Bernie Mm -hmm. really did control the sport. They had both sides of it. They know each other well. Totally. Oh, yeah. They were co-conspirators, you know, in in every sense of the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just great mates. And what I liked about Max is that he used to drop little sort of explosive depth charges of trouble uh, around the place and just wait for them to go off and then see how all the teams would scrabble around and it was almost as if you know if i suggest something at 10 tenths they'll go oh my goodness you know we can't let that happen and then they'll come to eight tenths and they'll agree on that yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas if we'd yeah. started at five tenths they would never have got to great negotiating yeah. exactly yeah, yeah 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 so i missed that element i'd never buy a car from max mosley <laughs> that's a clever 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 man not without his flaws i'm sure 
but <laughs> as uh, lots of but newspapers did a might tell us, job in his uh, mm. in his role. Never thought I'd say that. Uh, yeah, well, I remember yeah. with that famous story, the News of the World, and it actually wasn't the fact that it happened at all that he won his case on, was mm-hmm. it? It was the Nazi element that yeah, he yeah. won his case on, yeah, yeah. that it didn't have a Nazi element to it. And I remember discussing it with Sebastian Vettel when he was at Toro Rosso, a German, a yeah. young nineteen-year-old. And the fact that Max was quite open about, you know, yes, this is the kind of thing that, you know, I do do in my private life, and that's private, and it's nobody's business. But still, it's out there. Mm -hmm. And it did cause, for some time in the paddock, we were like all, wow, well, good luck to it. Well, it is pretty dirty laundry to be washing in public. How long have you been doing (laughs) Formula One now, as a reporter? Um, This will be my 17th season, I guess. Oh, as a reporter? Yeah, as a reporter. Uh, 2002 was my first, so this will be 12. I remember meeting Brundle at an ITV party when Mm. he first emerged. And I said to him, who is Ted Kravitz? And I will never forget what Brundle said to me. He he said, he's good. Oh, dear. He's good. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. In that, in that case, we should, we should pay attention to this answer, because I'm wondering, mm. with this very exciting 2014 season coming up, who's your pick for the championship? Who would you be putting your money on? Difficult. Ah, well, can I preface this answer by saying that I don't approve of betting. Yes, good. <laughs> and, <laughs> really? Uh, and I never have a bet on anybody. If, 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 you really, were, really? if you were betting. I have put, and I've already said it's on TV, so I'm happy to say it now. I've had a little tickle on Rosberg. Are you really? Yeah, because yeah, he yeah. was 16 to 1. He was mm. 20 to 1. Really? Mm. The day before, Mercedes did their shakedown before anybody yeah. else. I think yeah. it was sort of mid-January. Yeah. And they came out in the evening and said, oh, yes, by the way, we have just managed to run the car for a whole day at Silverstone for a shakedown. And everyone's like, but what? Hang on. Yeah. Red Bull haven't even passed their crash test yet, yeah, and you're yeah, already yeah. running it. Yeah, and yeah. in that day, it went from 20 to 16. So who knows mm. whether some mechanics had a big bet on it. Mm. But I picked him up at 16, and I've had that. Now, I've kind of couched that in the way that clearly as a Brit, I love my country, I love Formula One, and I'd like Lewis Hamilton to win the championship. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, I'll be disappointed. But if he doesn't, and it's more likely to be his teammate, then at least I've won a bit of money on it. Yeah, because that's exactly good compensation if Lewis doesn't win. That's yeah. exactly yeah. how my great friend Fred Dynage operates. Fred, for many years, was the chairman of Portsmouth Football Club, and whenever Portsmouth played, Fred. I'd go with him because we spent a lot of time together and he would put money on the team against which Portsmouth were playing, right. winning. So if his team won, bonus. If his team lost, he got a cash compensation. <laughs> I like the way you operate, Ted. Ted, is F1 in good shape for someone who's been involved for 17 years? Are you cynical or are you still loving it? Um, I love it, but is it in good shape financially? You know, you'd have to say no, it isn't, is it? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got people struggling, you've got teams going to the wall potentially and struggling to make it through the year and having to employ drivers who bring shed loads of dollars you know, from sponsors so no clearly it would be better if there's enough money going around that it would be self-sustaining for absolutely everybody but that's not the situation we've got it is competitive in every sense of the word business as well you know they're all the big teams they spend lots of money and get lots of sponsorship and work very hard to get all their sponsors on board say well hang on why should all the ones at the bottom who don't work as hard as we do to get our cars on the telly getting lots of sponsorship because we've got the most eyes on us because we're winning all the time yeah. why should we then get as much money in there? it's all too competitive yeah. there would be a better way you know, to share about money and it wouldn't take much budgets now what are they 175 million they're going to come mm. down you know, I remember the great 90s racing and budgets were 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 million and we thought that was a lot 60 million. and that's mm. fine mm-hmm. I don't see why we shouldn't have that 
If it's steel wishbones, so what? Mm-hmm. Let's bring back steel wishbones if they're cheaper. Although arguably limiting the amount people can spend can limit the technology. The, yeah, can yeah. The technology it would. Testing. The trick is to get the balance right because you yeah. want people to be able to innovate. You want people to be able to cope with these clever things. The McLaren suspension this year and f I'd argue the opposite because I think necessity is the mother of invention. But I may be wrong. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. I was Gareth and Ted Kravitz. Thank you very, Hello. very, you. very much. Not only for coming on the programme, but your sterling work broadcasting this sport that we love so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. We'll see you for another one. Probably without this guy and with some tall northern lad who's quite funny. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>